Hello and welcome to the Well Played Podcast. I'm your host, Warren Curtis. We are back again. Uh, we are talking about games, we're talking about reviews, and we're talking about all the things you care about in the world of gaming this week. Uh, but before we get into it, let's talk about what it is we do here on the show. We are here to talk about gaming from a mature adult perspective. What that means is we aren't going to get into console wars, we don't wave a fanboy flag, and we don't get into petty arguments about gaming. What we do is talk about facts about games and the gaming industry in simple language and give, give our opinions on why these things matter. We give our opinions as well on matters when it comes to uh, things like performance issues and stuff like that from a non-fanboy point of view, right? I'm not sitting here going Xbox is the best or PlayStation is the best or Sony or PC Master Race, any of that stuff, um, or Nintendo or whatever it is. Uh, and... I, I feel that's very important to do, and I'm going to talk a bit about how that is working in our new adventures with reviews and stuff a little bit later on in the episode. Um, but back to it, uh, what we will talk about is gaming as an adult and gaming as parents, and gaming as parents of, of kids that game. Um, we're going to talk about the games that we've been playing. We're going to talk all about these things on, on episodes, as well as on uh, YouTube You'll find us there on Twitch. Um, you can find us there. The link is in our descriptions. And on Twitter, you can follow us at Amarin Studios. Uh, that is A-M-A-R-E-N-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. Um, you can find us wherever we are uh, on audio podcasts. So wherever you happen to catch your pods, you'll find us there. That's Google. That's iHeartRadio. That is Spotify, um, Apple Pods, wherever it is. Be sure to like us, rate us, ring the bell, whatever it is on whatever platform it is, because that helps everybody else find the show. And we want those comments. We want your feedback. So let's hear it. Drop them in the comments. Send us an email, whatever it is. Um, so kind of to the point, there's been a, another notable absence. Um, I believe my last episode was just after Starfield dropped somewhere in there. Uh, we did a, uh, a coverage of a Nintendo Direct. There was a PlayStation showcase that was pretty lackluster and i think i did an episode after that so it's been let's say five weeks since the last episode um chemotherapy has been knocking the hell out of me uh i go in for my next and hopefully final chemotherapy treatment tomorrow and then that'll be about two weeks of nonsense and then i should be back to feeling a little bit better but then i got mris and imaging and then surgery hopefully after that so we'll talk a bit about how that's going to go um a little bit later and i will keep everybody posting updates as well as we get through it um with that being said i do like the idea of being able to convey stuff even when i am feeling down and out doing uh, a podcast like this extracts a lot of energy and it's maybe it's just because it's sitting up and talking really um, I can't, I can't think of any other real reason why it, it is. I have lots of energy as far as being able to sit and hammer out stuff on a computer, but talking and engaging with things is very draining. And I can only maybe do that for 10 or 20 minutes at a time before I just want to go have a nap. Um, so with that thought, I decided to start a, uh, we'll call it a blog for now, but a, a little page where we can find written word from me um i started it off with some reviews that are live there now uh the website is wellplayedpodcast.blogspot.com um 
you know, uh, maybe I'll look into getting some premium service. So I, I have a shortened website or a shortened URL and things like that down the road. But right now, like as I say, this is, this is just a basic thing. So wellplayedpodcast.blogspot.com. And from there, you'll be able to find not only our written stuff and written articles, which I will hopefully be updating on a daily basis because I can just hammer it out from my good old phone. But um, I'll also be doing uh, uh, reviews, larger scale stuff. You'll also be able to find links to the YouTube of, of the show right there on the side panel. And um, it'll be in a great, sorry, mirrored. <laughs> be like right there somewhere. We'll have that showing up on the on the page as well as um, you'll be able to see uh, links to the audio versions and the audio feeds there. So it's it's hopefully going to be a catch-all spot to be able to kind of catch all that stuff and, and get it back out there. Um, welcome to join us over there and comment and things like that on the articles there. I look forward to it. So saying all that, let's get to it. Um, news. There's a fair bit of news to cover. I am going to gloss over the bulk of it. Uh, because most of it is old news, but there is some bigger stuff in here. Um, the biggest of them all, I think, is the acquisition of Activision Blizzard King by Microsoft is finally over. It's been completed. It's been consummated. They have stepped over the threshold, and they've uh, made whoopee on the queen size. Um, we can expect Activision Blizzard titles to trickle into Game Pass in 2024. That's from Phil Spencer. Uh, he did an interview on the official Xbox podcast where he basically said, look, there hasn't been enough time for us to go in and, and figure out the back end of all this stuff. So we're, we're not doing a surprise drop as much as he would like to do a su surprise drop. So expect it to kind of start feeding in, in in 2024, and then we'll start seeing those titles uh, come out then. Um, he also said that he wants the studios, not just ABK Studios, but other studios, to make the games that they want to make. And uh, with that, like, we're, we're thinking through the the read between the lines, I guess is probably what I was trying to say there. Um, you've got studios like Toys for Bob that are stuck doing support work for, for Blizzard and Activision, and they can make amazing games. They've made you know some really good Crash Bandicoot stuff and things like that. So maybe there's something that they really want to make. Um, and you know it, it'd be amazing to see what these, these guys can come up with, these, these teams can come up with on their own. Um, he also teased uh, the return of Guitar Hero and Hexen, amongst others. So, you know, there's some franchises, there's, there's lots of IP that ABK has in their, in their uh, vaults that hasn't been touched in a long time. And I think it's really worth noting that you can go back and visit all that, and it doesn't necessarily have to be an ABK studio that does that now. So there's a lot of cool stuff there. Um, I think we're going to start seeing the fruitions of this, and in, in, not in 2024, I think we're going to really start seeing this paying off in 2025 and beyond as teams can maybe hammer out some of the smaller projects and then start working on something bigger and, and they kind of get things laid out. Right? It's been a little early for that yet. So we'll see uh, how it goes. Um, the PS five slim was announced. Uh, it's pretty much exactly the thing that I leaked back in an episode in like early August sometime. Um, so, you know, it's the slim form factor. It's got the new six nanometer process for the chips, a detachable disk drive. It is pretty much exactly what I said it was going to be. Um, it isn't necessarily slimmer like it is, but not gargantuanly smaller, right? It's it's 
we're still looking at the Burj Khalifa on the on the entertainment unit there. So still a big towering thing. Yeah, um, it has a little kickstand I thought that was interesting for when you lay it flat. Um, interesting enough, but yeah, it's, it's been announced. Prices stay the same. Actually, there's it's kind of been a fifty dollar increase on it in in the American market. So they, they finally got hit with that increase that all the other markets got hit with. So there's that. Um, this is just Sony saving money. That's what it is. And even more than that, it's them making more money. Um, they were making money on the process before on the standard PlayStation console uh, or PlayStation 5 console. And then, you know, now they're making more chips per wafer. Uh, they've created some efficiencies there. And, and in other areas of the console, they've also created efficiencies just through trimming weight and stuff like that. That means it's there's less components going in, so it's cheaper to manufacture. It's less weight, so it's cheaper to ship. And they're charging the same or more for it, so therefore they're making more money. Um, yeah, so that's basically it. Uh, City Skylines 2, the city-building game, uh, has missed its release date for consoles that they announced... Uh, just before it was going to ship it, it came out today on the 24th, but um, I believe it was about three or four weeks ago they announced that it was going to miss the release date for consoles. They knew a long time ago it was going to miss the release date on consoles internally. They just never knew when, when, when you announce it's going to miss the release date, you want to be able to be like, hey, it's not coming out this day, but we're going to have it come out over here. Um and I think that's what they were trying to narrow down the last couple of weeks. Uh, they're saying it's going to come out for an early 2024 release on consoles. Um, it shipped in a buggy and complete state uh, for PC as well. Um, but then there's nobody going to delist them if they ship it that way, whereas they can't get certification to ship it on a, on console in that state. Um, the developer is working towards optimization. However, the st- Paradox Interactive, who's the publisher of this, is in a bad way right now. Um, they just released Lamplighters League. Uh, that fell on deaf ears. Uh, nobody really bought it. It's been very much a failure for them. And now they they have City Skylines 2 releasing in this state. And this after so much anticipation, so much push for the new City Skylines. And and they're not able to, to get it running in a... In a state on consoles to the point where they need six more months at least before they release it um that's saying quite a bit they have locked it at uh, 30 frames per second on pc as well which is very surprising and a lot of people are saying that's that's unacceptable it's a city building game you don't need 30 frames i agree with that or you don't need 60 frames like 30 frames is more than adequate for a city city builder however there's two schools of thought there that I subscribe to. One, you don't tell a PC player what he can and can't do with their, their game, right? If they want to release a game in whatever state, uh, a player should also want to be able to see what happens if they lock it at 120 or whatever, right? And the other school of thought with that is, is obviously if it's stuck at 30 frames a second, it's really tasking that GPU. And, it, and it's really tasking the RAM available to it. And if that's the case, like it's obviously using the GPU, I think, for physics. And if that's the case, then they have 
or sorry, not for physics, for um, runtime. So when you have, uh, it's subroutines, basically. So when you have a city building game, you have like all your Sims are running around to their jobs and doing their things and you have traffic management and you have all these systems in play in the background. And those are all subroutines that basically run as the game is playing. Um, that is a very intensive thing. And they're using Unity to build this game, which is also not a very efficient uh, engine to do that kind of stuff with. It's good at doing um, kind of management sim stuff. You see a lot of games that are made, uh, or sorry, that are management sims are made in Unity for that reason. Um, but it isn't efficient in how it manages its RAM usage and its output data. And uh, and this is more an indication of that. They're locking the 30 frames to free up that bandwidth so they can do more calculations on, on these subroutines and stuff like that. So they need to find efficiencies there. And that is basically right in the back end of the game. That is that is what is hard-coded into the game, and they need to get that done right. Um, we'll see what it what happens. I highly suspected this was going to miss big. Uh, I predicted, I think, 75. Yeah, 75. Uh, would be the like probably the higher end of the score. I was being optimistic with that, and it's sitting right there in the mid to low seventies. So, you know, we'll we'll see how it how it pans out later. And as the game ships out today and goes live, there'll be a lot of outlets that didn't get early access and stuff like that that'll publish their reviews, and that'll probably drop that score down a fair bit. Um. The PlayStation Studio Media Molecule, they're known for Little Big Planet and Dreams. They've been hit with layoffs. Um, they're the latest studio to be hit with layoffs. Uh, Epic laid off a mess a couple of weeks ago. Um, Naughty Dog was hit last week after they canceled The Last of Us Factions. 20% um, of the staff at Media Molecule have been affected. So I, I hope that they land on their feet. Um, as I've said numerous times, this is an excellent year for games. Uh, horrible year for gaming as an industry um and we're seeing a lot of these studios this even bigger ones like you know media molecule that's a first party studio naughty dog first party studio epic games like they're massive and they're and they're just laying off left right and center so we're seeing a lot of that and i think we're going to see a lot more contraction in the industry going forward for a bit um let's say i hope everybody lands on their feet or they have plans to get further on and, and continue doing what they love to do. Um, an X par Xbox partner preview event has been scheduled for October 25th. That is tomorrow. Um, it's going to showcase partners, uh, which is third-party partners. Uh, it's going to be showcasing their games. So I'm not quite sure what we can expect out of this, but um, you know they're, they're going to be showcasing partner games. I don't know if that, like a Dragon Gaiden, is part of the partnership like they've been co-marketing it quite a bit so maybe we'll see that a bit there you know there'll be some other stuff show up for sure but um so we'll see i'm i've been reading this as a kind of a, a low-key more casual event uh, it's supposed to be wall-to-wall -wall trailers um but other people have picked up on it and saying it's a showcase and it's a big huge deal i i don't see where it says that anywhere but you know, we'll, we'll see what it is. Maybe they know something I don't. Uh, the Fallout TV show that's being produced for Amazon Prime by, um, I want to say, Kilter Entertainment, uh, which is the 
company behind uh, that show that's on HBO that was really cool with the robots and stuff that I'm drawing a blank on. Anyways, um, Westworld. There we go. I knew it. From from Westworld, uh, the Westworld folks, um, Jonathan Nolan is at the helm of it, who's Christopher Nolan's brother. Uh, it's finally got a release date, April 12th, 2024. We have not seen a trailer yet. Officially, there's been some leaks. I have steered clear of that because I don't want them spoiled for me. So we shall see how that looks. Um, I'm anticipating we'll probably see a trailer at the Game Awards. It's a good spot to put that. Pardon me. Spider-Man 2 sells two and a half million copies in 24 hours. Um, that's really impressive numbers out of, out of the uh, Insomniac franchise. Um, Spider-Man 2 being really the kind of the third installment. And once you consider, like you had Spider-Man 1 and then they did Spider-Man Remastered, right? Re-released that alongside of the Miles Morales expand alone which was like Spider-Man 1.5. And then now we have Spider-Man 2. Um, it's good numbers. I've seen, I have not played it yet. I have seen some reports of it being a little buggy out of the box. Um, some glitches and stuff like that. But otherwise, it seems to be performing pretty well. And I'm sure that they will fix it. Um, you know, good, good for people to play that. Um, I am going to get to this game eventually. It's just... It, it's not on my radar right now. I got way too much going on with uh, with everything else, plus gaming, that it's probably going to be one of those ones I pick up later on in a year's time or so. I have yet to actually complete Miles Morales, so I need to do that first, which is part of the holdback here. And then in news that never ends, the Switch 2 rumors are circulating again. Um, Doug Bowser, the president of uh, Nintendo of America, uh, hinted at rumors of a 2024 release of the Switch 2. Um, and as well, Nintendo has made the Switch announcement trailer from back when they announced the Switch originally. They've made that trailer private on YouTube. Um, what's interesting about that is usually you would do that to avoid confusion in between one thing and another. And Nintendo did that when they announced the Switch Lite, and then they did it again when they announced the Switch OLED. And now I'm assuming they're, going, they're doing that again in preparation of announcement announcing of another switch um i'm not quite sure when that's going to happen when that announcement's going to happen i think they still have to wait for that um the princess peach showtime yeah princess peach's showtime game that comes out in like march i think they gotta wait for it to release before they really hit that window and, and start announcing that anyways that about does it for news um as always please remember that nothing is confirmed until it is confirmed and nothing is launching until it is launched dates change things change and it all happens for various reasons whether it's business whether it's creative whether it's performance and all that um in other kind of somewhat exciting news i have a sponsor and i'm going to talk about them right now um sponsor is dubby energy you can see them on my hat here and you can see them on my drink. Sorry, pull it out here. I am drinking the Dragonade, which is uh, exactly what is pictured here in, in our lovely uh, blow-up. Um, and as a partner of Dubby, I am able to extend to you a code. 
if you go to w.gg, which is the site you can order W Energy drinks from, and use the code WELLPLAYED, you will get 10% off all your purchases, um, your entire order, which is great stuff. Uh, this stuff is made in the USA, um, and it ships out of California. It gets up here, like I'm in, in outside of Barrie, Ontario, and it gets up here in about two weeks. Um, it all kind of depends on custom speed. The first time I ordered through them, it took a little bit longer. Not sure why, but this time it came up relatively quick. And since then, it's also been quick as well. Um, I got the new metal shaker, which is really cool. It comes in a powder. You put it in, shake it up. And Dragonade is like a, uh, it's a dragon fruit, strawberry lemonade flavor. Really good. I also got beach and peach, uh, which is another flavor. Um, really like this stuff. It is, it is a good energy drink that doesn't give you the jitters, doesn't give you the shakes like, uh, like your conventional energy drinks do. It doesn't irritate your stomach. It's not carbonated, which I think is a big bonus with it. Um, it, it drinks kind of like a fruit punch or something like that. It is caffeinated. However, all the caffeine, uh, caffeine, I'll be okay. All the caffeine is sourced from, uh, coffee. So it is a very mellow caffeine. It's not that high test, uh, high octane junk you see in, in the canned stuff at the store. And you don't have that um, that aftertaste that you get with some of those ones, which is really good. This is a really nice fruity drink. Um, and as I say, nice uh, steel tumbler. They have new tumblers as well that are plastic, that are American made. They're made in Texas. Um, and those should be shipping out soon. And they have a whole whack of flavors. So I highly recommend it if you are into having a different type of energy drink. This is it. There's excellent value in these cans. These cans, um, I'm trying to get my finger to line up, but I'm using my wrong hand because everything's mirrored today. Um, these these tubs are, I meant to bring it in with me, and you know what, I forgot. These tubs are like that big. And, you know, so big round. And they, they have quite a bit in there. You get a lot of value in there. It is less than a dollar a serving when you figure it all out, which is very good. So highly recommend. Use the code WELLPLAYED to get 10% off. And again, that is W.GG is the website you want to go to. Anyways, off to the races again. Thank you for w, uh, to W for your uh, support in this program. We are back at it. And we are talking about reviews. Um, gaming reviews are a thing that, uh, a lot of sites use to attract attention. Um, you know, kind of a look here, be part of the, uh, the controversy or be part of the discourse around a, a topic. Um, we are seeing that a lot more recently, excuse me. We're seeing that a lot more recently with, um, with games being very polarized and I was hesitant to do reviews on the basis that I find a, I find talking about a, a game that is subjective, right? You're, you're talking, it's subjective art, right? My opinion on what it means to me is a lot different than what your opinion of it could be. You know, if you think, if you imagine yourself at a museum, you know, let's say we're in Paris and we're looking at, Starry Night, one of the most famous pictures in history, or the Mona Lisa, what that means to you could mean something completely different to me. What 
feelings and emotions it evokes in one person is completely different than what it evokes in another person. Um, the same is said for music, right? If, uh, especially when you have things as subjective as, as taste in music, some people will dismiss a type of music just based off of the type it is, um, whether, you know, it's rap or heavy metal or R&B or whatever. Um, they'll dismiss it wholesale just out of the gate on that premise. Um, and even if they don't do that, then there's people that are, songs mean different things to different people those lyrics mean differently the music evokes a different feeling to different people um in tv shows and movies are very much the same thing video games are no different right it is subjective art and i find scoring subjective art pretty weird because how can i assign a score and what that means to me that score only means that to me it doesn't mean that to somebody else because somebody else might arrive at that conclusion for another reason um, and that is if we are all being honest about how we subject ourselves to that art and how, what we feel about it. Um, there's an entire, you know, let's put on the tinfoil hats here for a minute, but there are very good business cases for why you would want to review a game a certain way. Um, if, if you're a media outlet, you might want to subject a, a good review so you can get advanced copies for content for your website for down the road for other games out of that same publisher or developer. Um, you might pan a title or, or that is to say, give a bad review to a title for a company that didn't give you an advanced copy for whatever reason. Um, you might give it a bad review because of a poor relationship with that in, uh, company's individual PR rep that you've been dealing with. Um, there's all sorts of reasons that you would show a bias and I don't like bias. That is, that is by and large the entire purpose of what I like to do here is to avoid bias. I am not a PlayStation person. I'm not a, a Xbox person or a Nintendo person. I'm definitely not a PC person. Um, I enjoy doing what I do and talking about what I do from a non-biased point of view. And, and that is incredibly important. Um, not to mention that, but uh, I'm also not in the position where I'm getting advanced copies of all these games. I don't have a PR reputation to ruin. And I'm not going to, even if I did have advanced copies coming in of all these games, I'm not going to compromise my integrity for that relationship. That is something I don't, I'm not making money off of this. Right? Why would I care if a, a PR rep disliked my review? Um, that being said, I find assigning how I feel. So if I can do a review of a game and talk about how it's technically achieving what it's doing or, uh, you know, the, the non-objective parts of it, right? Gaming as an art, but also gaming as a technology. So if we can look at the technology side of it, and go, this is, these are the things it's doing, right? And I review that. That is a lot different. And I, I have no problem assigning a score to that. Um, so I think as, as I'm kicking off these new reviews, um, I think talking about them in the sense of what they're doing and what they're doing good as far as, that, as, far as technological things go, maybe what they're doing bad, um, and highlighting where there's room for improvement as well as marrying up how that makes 
the gameplay experience go and and try to do that with a objective point of view right then i can achieve a score and then if i add a bit of flavor and a little bit of context to why it personally appeals or does not appeal to me then i can kind of assign that score there right and finalize my review that's the process i'm kind of looking at for it um i do find as i say i find subjective reviews are very difficult to do when there's a business relationship at play i don't have that issue so i i don't mind talking about it in that aspect but i do have an issue where as i say it's subjective art and and what it means to me might be different than what it means to you so as i said i want to put context on that then we can talk about the scoring and kind of talk about why i arrived at that conclusion what would make it a 10 for me or what would give it that extra point in my opinion i think is, is that there's value in that um as far as game reviews in general go my advice has always stayed the same you find someone that you trust that you have similar opinions on of a specific genre right so if you really like japanese rpgs that is your thing that is your jam and you go and look up let's say five of your most favorite jrpgs and you go uh find a reviewer that's reviewed those five ones and the, if they have similar input and similar thoughts in their written review then that is a person that maybe you should engage and follow for jrpg reviews that being said that person's taste on a racing game might be completely different than what yours is so then you got to go find somebody for that kind of thing so you got to be really kind of objective with it um i am trying to not include that kind of stuff when i'm when i'm going to be talking about it and more so just kind of the, the black and white facts of the matter and then i'll throw some color on of my opinion kind of towards the end if that makes sense it's kind of a hard thing to describe but we'll go with it um and we're kicking off this process and again you can find that at wellplayedpodcast.blogspot right blogspot.com yeah wellplayedpodcast.blogspot.com you'll be able to find the written reviews um over there and we're kicking that off with three new reviews uh we're talking super mario wonder detective pikachu returns and starfield are the three reviews that we're doing i will do a bit of a recap of those reviews right now and we're going to kick off with super mario wonder um yeah might as well just kind of kick it off at the beginning eh? it's probably a worthwhile adventure all right mario luigi and friends return to 2d platformer glory in this wonderful release the game features typical Mario power-ups from the familiar Super Mar Mushroom and the Fire Flower to power-ups that allow Mario and friends to, to become an elephant, have a drill ability, and even blow bubbles. In addition to the traditional power-ups, players can also collect badges in the game that modify their character's abilities from gliding, using the cap, to jumping higher and more. However, these modifications must be selected prior to entering the level and stay with the player during the entirety of the level. The layout of the game is familiar to those that have played other 2D Mario games, especially new Super Mario Brothers. 
Taking place in the Flower Kingdom, a close neighbor to the Mushroom Kingdom, players have to navigate several unique areas featuring unique biomes to collect wonder seeds in each level. These wonder seeds unlock, unlock passages forward in the area and allow the player to ultimately challenge the area's castle dungeon, which upon successful completion will grant the player a royal seed that is utilized to remove one of Bowser's defenses, which eventually allows the player to challenge Bowser in the final castle. Some levels within the areas are a challenge levels for speedruns and jumping rhythm or to earn more badges. Others are quick mini games that allow a fun break in between the main levels. It performs well even on the Switch's aging hardware. Nintendo's incompetence in the online gaming space, however, does not does hinder it quite a bit, resulting in a significant amount of potential that has been left on the table. Additionally, each Switch account only gets a single save file in the game, which seems a little off in this day and age. Full of secrets, fun characters, top quality level design, and an amazing interactive music system, the game is one of the best 2D platformers in recent memory, and personally, my favorite one since Super Mario World landed on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System back in 1991. Uh, I've put down pros for this game are a fun 2D platformer, great music, and fun challenging levels, and cons being poor online functionality and an archaic save file system. And I scored that game 9 out of 10. Um, so kind of dissecting what I went there, I reviewed a little bit about how the game processes and, and what what the players expected in the game and then I discussed about how it performs which it performs very well um, especially on the switches like we're talking you know eight-year-old cell phone technology uh, even older than that really um, it, it performs really well on that and I think it's it's very impressive that they were able to do all that well it's equally impressive in the other way that they really they had a system in place before for multiplayer in their games that works. And they just decided to you know, say the hell with that and, and get go and do the complete opposite. Like I, I it, it's it's frustrating as a fan to have this level of stupidity when it comes to online gaming. It might not be stupidity, it might be ignorance, might just I don't know. Maybe there's much more limitations. Maybe they need to upgrade to a 486 for a server. I don't know. But whatever it is, they, they need to figure it out. And they need to do that so when the Switch 2 or the Switch successor launches, we're not running into this issue. That is, I think, a huge important factor that they got to consider. Um, and then that archaic fa save file system. Like, it's weird. Like, most games, especially Nintendo games, you have a few slots, Right. You know, you have an A, B, or C slot, or whatever it is, and for for each player, and you can, you know, play through. You can have one that you're doing to, to completion. You can have one that you know you muck around in, or whatever it is. And in this one, you only get the one. A little weird. Now, if you have multiple users on your Switch, there's the other way around that. But again, then you run into licensing and and issues or permissions rather when you have multiple users that make it more complicated. So. Still very weird, in my opinion. Um, you know, as I said, it, it's probably my most favorite Mario game or 2D Mario game since Super uh, Mario World on the Super Nintendo. Um, that's saying quite a bit. I love 2D Mario games. Super Mario World, I think, is is kind of the, the platinum level. Like, that is as good as it's gotten for quite some time. And I think this is 
touching that greatness. I don't think it's there, but it's touching that greatness. Um, a little interesting tidbit I ran into this week. Back in 1985, 38 years ago, um, when Nintendo released the original Super Mario Brothers, you know, the one that we all played that came packed with Duck Hunt, um, five people made that game, right? That's, that's not surprising. It is what it is. Out of those five people, four of them worked on Super Mario Brothers Wonder. And that shows you the kind of the pedigree that you're dealing with. You're dealing with people that know Mario games inside and out. They've been doing it for 38 years. And this is this is a culmination of that those efforts. This is a really good throwback to the original 2D Mario games with a beautiful art style, beautiful music integration. They've done a really good job with it. And it's incredibly fun. There's, there's a fair bit of humor that actually isn't too bad. You know, it's cheesy Mario humor, but it's there. Um... It's a fun, very fun game. The kids are loving playing it. Uh, Chloe, my youngest, has been actually very adept at, at playing it. There's one level um, where you have to run from kind of like a bison rhino thing. And uh, and she, she's actually gotten really good at that. So she almost made it all the way through. And it's a hard, hard, hard level. Like I think it's three stars difficulty. So. It's hard for a five-year-old. Very impressive stuff. Um, really enjoyed playing that game quite a bit as well. Uh, and I'm still playing it quite a bit. It only came out on Friday. But it's been basically playing in the Switch the entire time. Or almost the entire time, anyways. Um, on to the next one. This is going to show how it kind of goes the other way. Uh, Detective Pikachu Returns. Detective Pikachu returns in this mediocre adventure for the Switch. In the latest installment of Detective Pikachu, we embark on the journey set up in the original game and provided we ignore the live film, live action film adaptation, we may even get presently surprised. The game itself is a simple detective game with basic controls and lots of hand-holding that will be welcomed by younger players. Although I am admittedly not the target audience of the game, I felt that my enjoyment of the universe would be well served by this game. As a whole, the game is primarily a narrative, avoiding any complicated puzzle solving and control input by the user, while it spins a tale that is leaps and bounds better than its live-action counterpart. And I mean that, you know, as an aside, um, line by line, this game is better written than that movie was. I enjoyed the movie. This is better than that, so far anyways. I haven't quite finished it, but you can kind of see where it's going. Um, graphically, back to the review here, graphically, the game is lackluster, showcasing graphics and fidelity that would be considered dated by standards even from two decades ago. Not a fault of the hardware where we have, where we have, se uh, where we have seen amazingly beautiful and well-crafted visuals running on the same platform, but rather a laziness by the developer. That being said, the fact that the Pokemon company chose to revisit the spin-off universe is welcoming and I hope they continue to develop and entertain titles like this in the future. I just wish the developer put a bit more effort into it. Uh, for pros, I have an easy, kid-friendly adventure that is fun for all ages, and a better story and closure than the Hollywood adaptation. For cons, a very basic appearance, and it's um, very hand-holding. And you can't, like, shut that off. It's just going to tell you the same thing 15 times. Make sure you understood that. 
um because of its performance and its graphical and like i i don't knock games graphics when i'm talking in the sense of an art style right so like tears of the kingdom looked an awful lot like breath of the wild and you know breath of the wild being a wii u game technically um some people knocked it because there was no advancement in the graphics no i'm i wouldn't do that because i'm not expecting an advancement in the graphics that's an art style that's creative choice that's different this isn't this looks very bad it looks like a it doesn't even look like the 3ds game bad like it, it looks bad and that is the pokemon company and developer of this was creatures um just being lazy not putting the the money and the effort into a title that could potentially be a flagship um you know we, we've seen great success obviously the pokemon games sell like hotcakes um and maybe there's a bit of argument why those ones aren't as graphically intensive as they should be. Um, but we, we have seen differences with, uh, like, Pokemon Arceus was very good. Um, wasn't graphically amazing, but it was better than this. And, and there was also art style choices involved in that. But it was, technically, it was better than this. Um, this doesn't do things like drop frames. It doesn't do things like have a weird draw distance because that's not factored in. It is playing like a visual novel. And when you have a game that's playing like a visual novel, um, you still control the character. Like you walk around and stuff. But you can afford to put a little bit more depth into it, a little bit more texture and detail. And they just they didn't. It kind of looks like somebody cut a lot of the stuff out of construction paper. It's kind of the appearance. And it's it's disappointing. They could do a lot better, especially for such a big franchise as, as Pokemon. Um, and for that, I give the game a 6 out of 10. Uh, yeah, it could be a lot better. And, you know, it's, it's disappointing. That's to say, I, I don't knock creative choices when it comes to graphical, because, again, that's, that's a, a preference thing. But, you know, when we're talking about things like there's just no detail, you could have detail. You know, other Pokemon games have detail, so it's not a creative choice in that aspect. You know, what are we missing here? Right, and that is honestly, it should be a little bit better. And it is kind of what it is with that. Um, next on our hit list here, that's the big one. It's the big one. It's Starfield. Into the Starfield we go. Uh, the long-awaited adventure did come out six weeks ago in early access, and I've been playing it since then. I have shared some of my thoughts in previous episodes, but I felt that in order to give it a real fair shake, I needed to make sure I've seen kind of most of what it has to offer. And I also felt that like I needed to play through as kind of different people and in different styles to make sure that I wasn't missing something crucial like, some sort of game-breaking experience that you have if you do, you know, this kind of main playthrough, even though it's not my style playthrough, right? So I tried to look at it from an objective point of view in that way. Um, after approximately 300 hours, I think I have enough confidence in my opinions about it that I can attempt to do a review. It is 
far too vast in order to do like a completionist review or uh, my thoughts on the whole meaning of the game review. Um, in addition to that, this game, I'm just going to come out and say it. This game is going to be a very controversial ending for pretty much anybody that plays it. You're going to have polarized takes on it. Um, that's This is coming from the studio that made a game where you had to choose to sacrifice yourself to save the wasteland or not. It, it made you choose in between your own son and and slavery and, and things like that. Indentured servitude. Um, it made you choose, you know, they've made you choose all sorts of things. Um, they made you, you know, do you side with the racists? Do you side with the, the freedom fighters in, in the civil war of Tamriel or of Skyrim? Um, you know, there, there's, there's all sorts of different themes and mythologies with it and things like that. And, and trying to, They've blown this that kind of thought process out of the water because we're talking about ex existential questions, right? That they're bringing up and meanings of life and things like that, and it, it, and there's some depth to it. So I want I I am not going to talk about what all that means to me and what my thoughts are on those things because again those are subjective, but also that is massive spoilers. I just don't want to. I'm not going down that path, right? those that maybe we can do a spoiler cast down the road, right? But I think maybe talking spoilers closer to the release of Shattered Space, the DLC, might make more sense because I think that DLC is actually going to put a lot of these choices in context, right? Anyways, into the review. <laughs> you play as a character who has been mining resources on planets and moons across the galaxy. In typical Bethesda fashion, your backstory, your name, your identity are all up to you and the writers don't dictate any of that for the player. There are traits you can select during character creation that do give you somewhat of a background, but otherwise it is all your choice as the player to fill in the blanks however you may desire. The other characters call you Dusty, a nickname provided to you due to the dusty nature of your business. As most Bethesda titles do, you embark on a tutorial section of the game that fills in the basic controls and gameplay loops you will be required to utilize during your adventure which culminates in the usual scenario of a situation that you are best suited to deal with, and that is where the true game begins. So, as an aside here, you, you know, we all played Fallout 3. Let's pretend we all played Fallout 3. Um, you know, you wake up, you're in a vault, you know, you go through your, your kind of your character orientation of who you are and what's going on, and you have the birthday party, and Butch steals your sweet role, and blah, 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 blah. Um, you wake up in the vault and your dad has escaped the vault and it's up to you to, to chase after him and figure out what the heck's going on. And you get out there and you know, a light and you get out of the vault and you're given a wasteland to explore. And it's basically like, all right, bud, you've shot your guns. You figured out how to sneak. You figured out how to pick locks and, and, and hack a computer. See ya. And and you do a mission, you know, you, you follow in his footsteps, I believe is the mission, what it's called, following in his footsteps. And you track your dad to, uh, what is it, Megaton, and you go to Moriarty's bar, and blah, 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 blah. Right? But that's when it starts to ex expand on you. And you can go, okay, you can go 
the city, or you can go over here to do this quest. You don't really do that quest, or you can just poke around and find things out. And and that is how the game is kind of introduced to you. But then when you do finally catch up to your dad, whether you go right away or not, doesn't really matter. But when you do find out what you're doing, and and you go through all that the process of of finding them in the tranquility vault and blah 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 uh you are faced with this thing that only you can solve you have the experience to solve this right and that is bethesda trait they put that in every game right in skyrim you know you're, you're faced with this situation of you're running to white run to to warn them or to winter hold sorry rainbow if i mess that up um winter it's been too long since i've actually played skyrim like doing the missions um but you go to the storm cloak or you go to the, the imperial thing and you're tasked with what you can and can't do basically from there right and you know you're the only one that can solve this you're you're the ambassador of this program and it's up to you to do bethesda does that really well and in this case it is exponentially true that you are the only person that can solve the problem that is faced in starfield um and not really a, a problem per se but it's a task that only you can do um the the game features storylines of piracy fascism liberation love exploration and clandestine operations you can be a pirate, a soldier, a lawman, a cyber runner, you name it, and it still lets you achieve whichever ending you so desire. Um, it's beautifully crafted in, in that sense that your choices matter, but at the end of the day, what you're doing is a different kind of thing, right? Um, the best way to describe it is the main quest is a guardrail that keeps you kind of going in the same direction while you do all the other stuff. So you do all the other stuff and you have fun doing all the other stuff. But the main quest is basically like, oh, oh, you're back here again. You got to go this way. Go do this. Keep working towards this. And and it makes sense once you do it, why they did it that way, right? The the main quest line, the, it comes from um, Constellation is the organization that gives you that these, these quests. Um, they aren't exactly deep or thought-provoking quests, primarily. There's some stuff there. They're not necessarily the most fun quests in the game. The other ones, I think, are much more fun than the side quests. Um, but they're incredibly important on just making sure you're doing what you need to do to move on in the game and and to advance. And that is an important thing. Um, you know, kind of touching on that, narratively, the game is thin in some places. It's very well fleshed out in others. I suspect there may be creative reasons behind some of that, so I'm not really going to fault the game for it, but it is noticeable. Um, and when I say creative reasons, I think there's things that are going to get fleshed out more in DLC down the road, and they wanted to save some of that as surprises and, and things. Um, Non-player characters do recognize the things that you've achieved in the game, and this is shown through various dialogues and rewards, which I think is really good. There's It's adds a bit more of a dynamic to it um and, and they'll address you about those things and, and that's common in in other 
Bethesda games, not necessarily about the things that you've accomplished, but kind of the traits that you have. So if you're really adept at lock picking, someone might make a comment saying, you know, you may be good at stealing stuff, but I got my eye on you. Or if you're a really good sweet talker, you know, they'll say something about that silver tongue of yours. Um, things like that, of those, of that nature. In, in Starfield, it is about what you've done. That is where, what the focus is on. Regardless of what your background is and what traits and, and perks that you may have, they're really talking to you about things that you've done and those choices that you've made. And that's where it matters. Um, and I think that's a, a different way of doing it. From an exploration standpoint, uh, Starfield delivers something that we have yet had yet to really see in a Western RPG. And that is the, kind of the sheer vastness of the universe with in, in this case, we have over 100 different solar systems to explore, each with planets and moons, space stations, abandoned ships. Um, it, it's really a sight to behold. And, and we're talking about things that are basically contained within our galaxy. Like, this is still, we're not going to different galaxies. We're not off to Andromeda. We're still in the Milky Way doing our thing. Um, so, so the vastness is really not even being touched on. And the thing that a lot of people compare this to is No Man's Sky. And, <coughs> pardon me, No Man's Sky isn't an RPG. It is a space game. This is, a, this is an RPG that takes place in space. More importantly than that, it is a Bethesda RPG, which has a different kind of style and expectation to it. And it's set in space. I truly think that no other studio could pull something like this off in this way. As I say, we've seen other space games. There are plenty of space games out there. This is not a space game. This is a game that just consequentially, it, it happens to take place in space, but the rest of it is doesn't really matter to that. Um, touching down on any of these planets or moons, uh, yields interesting results um each planet or moon has its own features from whether it's gravity strength or oxygen levels or different biological systems some feature like acid rain or chemical rain um poisonous water corrosive gases uh definitely uh, all sorts of hazards to overcome and further still there are unique flora and fauna species not only to to each of these planets and moons or the plants and moons that have flora and fauna, not all of them obviously can support life. That would be boring if every plant was life-supporting, right? Um, not all of them can do that. Uh, but anyways, these unique flora and fauna are also captured within unique biomes on these plants and moons, which is really cool. Um, you can have like frozen tundra or sweltering rainforest or uh, deserts, air deserts and marshy swamps, kind of anything in between, mountains, plains, plateaus all the different kind of biomes and those can all exist on one planet just like we have them all here on earth <coughs> um scattered across these spaces are also minerals and resources from common things like water and iron to lesser found resources like xenon and uranium you can mine these resources for crafting things like weapons and suit modifications as well as to build outposts and equipment and also for selling to make money and there's even quests where you have to go get these things or so much of these things or deliver so much of these things. 
um, peppering the landscape still are a myriad of uh, procedurally generated structures, some of which may be a proverbial or maybe even a literal gold mine um, for those hunting loot. Um, you'll have various different types of these structures. And, and by procedural, the building itself has been handcrafted, um, but procedurally they place it kind of wherever. And uh, there's obviously things that are dictating where they're being proceed, uh, procedurally dropped. Um, so there, there's certain uh, rules about that uh, for the game. Um, and then within it, basically the layouts of these places are relatively the same. Bear in mind, if you think how space uh, domination would occur, and by that I mean like we are going to go civilized space, much like how Europe's you know came and decided to colonize uh, America and North America. Um, we're going to go colonize space. What would that look like? Well, in that day and age, we would be we're cap you know right now we're capable of modular building. Right. So we can build modules of things, ship them to somewhere and click them together with Lego and build a facility. That is what these are. They're modular buildings. Right. And that is why they all have a similar feeling to them, because of course they would be modular. Right. We need, you know, this type of facility. We're going to order ten of them and we get them and we send one to this planet, one to that planet, and we put them together and blah 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 blah. Makes sense. That's how it would work. Um Inside, though, things change, right? Loot. Loot is in different spots, or the type of loot, sorry, loot is never in a different spot. The type of loot in that spot changes, right? So in a spot where what you'll find is, um, to a degree, right? Some spots are always the same. But let's say an apple is in that spot. Well, in the next time you're in a facility like this one, it could be a pear or a plum or celery all they've dictated is it's a fresh food and the game just populates it right um things like contraband and stuff like that all show up in the same spots uh but loot is all randomly generated so when you open up a safe and there is a helmet or a a piece of armor or a weapon in there that is randomly generated and those are randomly generated in the similar system to how borderlands does it where they have these are all the different combinations and just Here's a random number. That means you get this scope with this gun and with this mod, and away you go. Um, so all that is kind of randomized. It, it it creates a different aspect of it, and when you're trying to find you know a, a good weapon versus a poor weapon, when you have a weapon crafting system, it is less important for that, but you need to make sure your base weapon is good. And that's where you get into, like, you can have calibrated weapons or advanced weapons or basic weapons basically and advances kind of as high as you go with that um so you don't necessarily look at the rarity of the item but more so as to what level it is and that tells you what caliber it could be down the road you can do better mods to those and make a better weapon so it, it it's it is interesting to see how they they've tied all that together and it's very impressive really there's some fine-tuning that needs to happen. I've had a couple instances where I've had the exact same type of facility side-by-side. Side. Kind of weird. But, uh, you know, like, why would we have two automated robot factories beside each other like that with the exact same layout and the exact same things and the exact same notes from the same dead people? Kind of weird. So they do need to maybe 
fix a little bit of that, but that's all stuff they can slam through in updates really quickly as they go on. Right now, let's work on optimization, right? And then as they go down, they'll add the features and stuff down the road. Um, this is a game I see having a 2.0 release, to be honest. I see them working through and going, okay, you know what? This thing's got enough new features in it. We can call it 2.0. So we'll see about that. Um, aside from the procedurally generated stuff, there's a huge selection, really, of handcrafted locales to visit. Um, there's cities and colonies, uh, space stations and starships and all sorts of stuff to visit that are kind of handcrafted and curated for you. Again, I don't want to make any spoilers there, but there, there, there's plenty of things that are handcrafted um, and have that unique Bethesda feel to them. And there's also historically important sites, which I think is really cool. You can go visit the Apollo landing site on the moon. Um, you can find the final resting place of the Mars rover opportunity. And you can even visit places like Cape Canaveral and the St. Louis Arch and, and stuff like that. So th there's unique things there. Um, and collectibles and stuff associated with a lot of that stuff too. So keep an eye out as you're playing. Um, combat has vastly approved uh, improved over previous Bethesda titles, and I'm looking at Fallout 76 here dramatically. Um, weapons have a better feeling in general. They feel more real, more gameplay real anyways. Um, targeting feels a lot more natural. And because of the low G and zero G, uh, the low gravity, zero gravity environment situation, there, there's huge potential for, for having really fun firefights that happen from time to time. Um, you know, if you get into engagement in a very low G atmosphere, you know, you're, you can launch yourself huge jumps in the air and, and the verticality and the chaos associated with that, you know, when you melee attack somebody and they just float off or you hit somebody with a shotgun and they go flying across the, the room, things like that happen. And it's very fun. Um, really enjoyable stuff out of, out of the combat. Big portion, and, and here we are going to get real, folks. A big portion of concern for any player of a Bethesda game, especially this early in, in the since release, is performance. Bethesda games, by nature, are known to be a buggy, largely in part due to the math, massive scale of them, right? Um, you can touch and move. I talked about this before and when we were talking about how many frames the game is locked at. Um, it, and it's locked on Series X at 30 frames, 1440p and on Series S, 1080p at 30 frames. Um, so I did talk about it that, but you can touch and move so many objects in the game, right? It's, it's, that's what Bethesda does. You have cheese wheel towers. Um, and Starfield's no different. But we also have the added complication of gravity into that physics calculation, right? So when, we're, when I'm talking gravity, like I just said how combat works in, in gravity is completely different versus zero G and low G environments and things like that. You can have extra G as well. You can get into an environment that is heavier than earth, right? So your jumps are, are lower. You can do more fall damage just falling off of a staircase as opposed to what you would on a, on a zero G um, or on a, on a one G environment. So this produces an issue where it's near impossible to really do any sort of quality control in a thorough fashion, right? Because there's there's never going to be two playthroughs that are alike. Uh, you got to remember how how these things can affect each other. And, and one thing that seems completely unrelated over here 
can completely change something over here. And, and they're not really related, but how the system does the math and everything like that, it all affects itself. Um, you know, you go back to remembering the Skyrim launch, right? Skyrim before it shipped, it was, it was bugged in a completely unplayable state for, for quite some time. And it took them a very long time to figure it out due to a bee that was in the opening sequence. You know, when you're in the wagon and it's, Hey, you, you're awake. Finally. Um, what would happen is your, your wagon would just fly off to the moon or whatever. And the game would crash and they couldn't figure out what was making it do it. Well, there was a bee that was altering the physics. There was just a bee in the game, like a little insect bee flying around. And he, it had an attribute or something tied to it that was altering the physics so bad that it was breaking the game. And it took them forever to figure that out. A bee, a bee, right? Just a bugged bee, right? So it's no small feat to ship a game in a playable state with this level of interaction. And they've done a, personally, I feel they've done a remarkable job. I can only speak from my experience. Um, I have read some people have had horrible experiences online. Most of those people that are having horrible experiences, I will give the caveat that they are running on PC, by and large, with mods, by and large. Maybe we need to rethink that, right? And if you're sitting there going, well, my 1030 video card isn't running Skyrim, well, no shit, right? Maybe get a video card made in the last decade. Um, or don't buy one for 80 bucks, right? That is kind of where the disadvantage is. Right, because you need to have that precise hardware to have that experience. Um, but as I can say, only from my personal experience here, with my time in the game, 300 hours-ish, as of this article being written, it's going to go up <laughs> very, very high. Uh, I've experienced the following bugs. I had a hard crash of the game after tra trying to travel the new Atlantis transit system, which is like the monorail, while over-encumbered by 1,400 kilograms. It just hard crashed. Went nope, don't get in that train. Dad, game over. Um, I I've had two other hard crashes during kind of basic space travel while I was grab jumping to other systems. It just went blah and died. I shut off save auto save on travel. I haven't had that crash since. Bethesda games typically you want to auto save at every given opportunity. I decided let's stop auto saving on on traveling. Let me control that. So I will save the game, do a quick save, and then I will jump, do the grab jump, and then I'll be fine. I haven't had an issue. And I don't save every time I grab jump. Like I save like every time I remember to, which is like you know, half the time I probably should be. Um, I had one instance where my character would not move while in first-person mode. I can only move in third-person mode but I couldn't shoot in third-person mode. So I had to be in first-person mode to shoot, third-person mode to walk. It That was not fun. But luckily enough, I had a, a recent save. Again, Bethesda game, I quick save often. So I had a, a quick save that was maybe two minutes behind. I just went back to it, reloaded, and it never did that to me ever again. Okay, cool. Um, and I had an instance where my ship disappeared from the, the landing pad at the ship editor in New Atlantis, and the trade authority kiosk beside the ship editor just disappeared. You could still interact with it, but it wasn't there to see. 
So you had to find the spot on the screen where it showed open, and you could do that. Um, again, just reloaded the save, which happened to be when I landed, and it was fine. I didn't lose any time at all with that. I landed the ship, walked out, and everything went all goofy. Reloaded the save, ship landed again, I walked out, everything was fine. Don't know what made it happen. And then the most interesting one of them all is during a certain quest that I am not going to talk about because I think it's one of the best quests in the game. Um, so I'm not going to give any details, but it takes place at a place called the Crucible. There's the only hint towards its purpose or mission that I will give. I had an instance where all the uh, the NPCs of a certain faction were hostile towards me for no reason. I didn't kill any of them in, intentionally or unintentionally. Um, I didn't pick any pockets. I didn't do anything. They were just shooting at me mad. This happened after I exited the dialogue screen. So I talked with a character, and then all of a sudden they, like, not even really instantly, but like I walked away from the character and started walking towards my objective, which is like, say 500 meters away in the game. And I got maybe 30 meters and all of a sudden these NPCs of just one faction were hostile towards me. There's three factions in the spot. Only one faction was hostile towards me. I reloaded, redid the dialogue option, redid the dialogue sequence rather and continued on and then it was one of the other factions that was hostile interesting then i had another one where it was hostile interesting then another one where one of them was hostile again so now i've had all of them and then one of them again interesting so i tried it a little differently there's some things you can do before this dialogue that may dictate how that works and then I had them all hostile towards me. And I was like, that was the wrong choice. So I reloaded again. This time I didn't, I holstered my weapon and didn't touch anything through the entire dialogue sequence. It worked fine. Cool. On to the next one. So if you are at that stage in the game and you know what I'm talking about with the hostile factions, send me a message. I will tell you exactly what I did to get through it. I don't want to spoil it on the, on the podcast, but send me a message, shoot me a text or an email on, on whatever, and I will tell you exactly how I got through it, okay? So aside from those larger bugs, I really haven't had a whole lot. Like I've had, you know, the typical misplaced quest markers and stuff that, that Bethesda has. Um, there's typos and dialogue, okay? And I've seen frames drop. You know, especially when you're carrying 1,400 kilograms worth of material over encumbered through town. It might bog down a little bit. Um, it bogs down when you decide to throw a bunch of shit on the floor. It's just it's the way it is. But then it comes back. Right? Overall, um, the playability's really been completely fine. Like I've had those, those glitches. None of those were game-breaking glitches. I, I was able to successfully navigate around them. Shouldn't have to. I agree. You know, this should be a playable state. But it didn't really affect my experience whatsoever with it. Um, and I also got to consider that all of them but the NPC being hostile one 
happened before the second patch, the most recent patch was released. Um, that that other one happened after, and I'm about to do it again in New Game Plus, or I'm pretty close to doing it again in New Game Plus. So if it happens again, it's definitely really bugged. I've seen a lot of people complain about that one as well. So there's that. Um, so gotta consider that. I've played it both on the Series S and the Series X. There is no difference in the experience that you can blame on the Series S. There isn't. Um, it doesn't look near as good, but that's almost even hard to pick out. Like we're talking 1080p at 30 frames versus 1440p at, at 30 frames. It's almost negligible, really. Um, a little bit. Like, yeah, I noticed things like maybe the, the load times are a little less. But it's not really a noticeable shortcoming. It's not something that's really going to be a, a huge hindrance on the Series S versus the X, which I think is remarkable, really, considering what this game is asking. Um, all in all, Starfield delivers a new exciting universe to experience with tons of lore and what may, many consider to be Todd Howard's magnum opus. Although there are some gripes, I feel confident that Bethesda will continue to optimize the game and add to the experience through expansions and additional content down the road. Um, the pros, large-scale Bethesda RPG, endless possibilities through New Game Plus. Cons, some players experience game-breaking bugs, forcing a restart. I got to acknowledge that. I didn't experience that, but I've been seeing that. There's button mapping's a little clumsy. There's a sequence that I don't really enjoy doing. I don't want to talk about what that sequence is, but it's a sequence that happens after you find an anomaly. And I'm not a big fan of that sequence. It's, it takes too long. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, clumsy button mapping. You can fix that. Like You can map whatever button you want in the game, but it's, it's just kind of clumsy. It wasn't well thought out some stuff right like you can easily make a mistake in some situations with it and i think it needs more accessibility options like it's 2023 let's get on it with more accessibility options um all in all i give this an 8 out of 10 and i'm basing that off of my performance experience of the game um again you know, there's a lot of stuff about Bethesda, especially with the Bethesda game, that is subjective. And I'm, I try not to really think about those things in it. I talked about, I, I wanted to think more about my general experience with the game and how it treated me, um, and less about how it made me feel. And I didn't find myself really frustrated at any point. I think that's, that's fair to say. So with my experience, I say it's an 8 out of 10. And I know there's review outlets out there that docked it and gave it a 6 out of 10 because they didn't get an early review copy. And you wonder why you don't get early review copies, because you do vindictive things in your reviews. Be honest in your reviews, you'll get review copies. That's how the business works, right? Interesting, really, to think about all that. Um, all those reviews are live right now on the blog. So it's, it's kind of... Uh, worthwhile to go in there i am going to do video reviews probably not for these games but for other ones down the road uh, and i will embed them with the written article 
So it'll be a little bit of a kind of a read and watch as you go thing. And I will capture gameplay when I do that. Um, aside from that, we're moving on. What have I been playing? Well, there's three games I think are pretty obvious, right? Starfield, more of that. Mario, obviously Detective Pikachu. Pretty easy to say that. Um, I've also been playing The Living Hell out of the Ace Attorney trilogy, the Phoenix Wright trilogy. Um, it came to Game Pass a bit ago. And oh my God, it is so fun. Um, really good, fun game. Check it out. It's on Game Pass. Um, it, you play as Phoenix Wright, who's a attorney, and you got to basically prove your uh, prove your client innocent. You're a defense attorney, and uh, what is fun about that is it there's an investigative acts aspect to what you're doing. So you got to go to the crime scene, gather evidence, and things like that, and then you got to find contradictions in testimony when the testimony is being done by your um, your opposition, your prosecutor, the prosecutor. And the prosecutors are personalities unto their own and they have reputations unto their own. It, it's very fun. I've done the first game. I'm maybe halfway into the second one. I think I'm episode three in the second one. So it's it's fun. It's exciting. And it, it's super chill. But it, it's good. Um, the other game I played a bit of was Forza Motorsport for the Xbox Series X. Um, and this that's the new Forza, Forza 8, whatever you want to call it, Forza Motorsport 2023. Um, let me sum it up in one word, disappointing. That's what it is, it's disappointing. Um, it's pretty. It's a very pretty game. Um, the physics are okay-ish. I think we're, we're in a weird position where I think the folks that made the spin-off game of Forza Horizon... Are doing a better job at making a driving game and uh the physics let's say they're there they're okay the driving experience is okay but really like how they've locked they, they've level locked upgrades on the cars which would be fine if it was level locking for like your character but it's level locking on the car so you got to rank each car up in order to upgrade it which doesn't make sense Granted, loud, I could go it right now and get a stage four turbo and bolt it onto my car. Doesn't mean it's a smart idea, but I could go fucking do it. Um, I could go get drag radials and friggin' spoilers and ground effects kits and new coilover suspension and racing seats and cut the weight out of it and put new camshafts and lifters in it. And uh, I don't know what a lifter is called. Survey cam. But anyways, I could do all those things, bore it out. Put a stage four turbo on it, say make it 500 horsepower, put stupid wide tires on it, and turn it into a full blown race car. Right now, I could do that. If money was no object, I could easily go do that. And I should be able to do that in Forza. Like, you don't, when you start a racing career, you don't get the go kart, start driving it around, and go, okay. Now I got to do like 10 races in this and then I'll get the, the sticky tires and then I'll do 10 more races in it and then I'll get the, the lightweight steering system, right? No, you, you go, okay, I did this. Now I'm going to go race the car. And when you get into the car or the cart or whatever it is, whatever your next step is in it, 
you upgrade it for that class that you're racing in. You're, you're going to the next class. That is how you do things. So if I was racing Ford Mustangs at in the top Grand GT series of racing, right? So the Continental Tire Touring Car Series, let's call it that. And I'm racing Ford Mustangs in the GT1 class, GT1 LM. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Fuck Ford Mustangs. I'm going to go race Chevy Camaros. I would have to start at the bottom of the series again in a Chevy Camaro, then rank it up. No. No, you, you don't do that. You just go buy the Chevy Camaro. And then you put all the parts to it, and you race in the same class, GT1 LM. You don't have to go all the way back to, like, GT4 or whatever. You, you're in GT1. That's the series you're in. Like, it makes no sense. Anyways, I deleted it after, like, an hour. Uh... I was just not having a good time, to be honest with you. Um, I found that with the drive assist on, it was, and like, I mean, not on heavily, like on whatever the standard setting is, it was just doing all the work for me. And then when I took it down the next notch, right, so not even all the way off, but took it down the next notch, it all of a sudden the car was just locking up and spinning out of control. And it's like, there's a world where there's something in between those two things, right? Like the system's still on. It shouldn't be as effective or whatever, but it's still on. It shouldn't be flying out of control. And I just found it really weird. And the AI is a little aggressive and buggy and things like that. And I was just like, you know what? Like, I don't really want to grind at a racing game forever and ever and ever to race up individual cars. I just don't really care for that, so I'm not going to. So I deleted it, and away I go. Thank God it was on Game Pass, and I didn't pay for it, right? It's a shame. I was really looking forward to that game. It is a shame. So my review of that one would be really complicated because it's a technical marvel, that game. It is. But it just wasn't fun to play to me. It did not do a thing for me. Anyways, um, that's basically all I've been playing. There's, I've touched and gone on a few different other games a little bit, but nothing really in-depth enough that I can really give an opinion on at this point. Um, so on to the next segment, I guess, yeah. Uh, questions. I got a question this week from Lone Wolf. I, have, I had a few questions, but some of them answered themselves with news, so here we are. That's what happens when I took too much of a break. But question from Lone Wolf here is, what is my most anticipated game of 2024? That is complicated. And it's complicated for a lot of reasons. There's not a lot of confirmed releases at this point. And so for me to say a game that is confirmed to come out in 2024 would be a different answer than games that I believe are coming out in 2024. Um, right now, I would say Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth is right up there. It's a confirmed release. And I think it's Probably my most anticipated release out of the ones that are confirmed. I'd have to look at my count at the gaming calendar again to make sure, but I think that's right. Um, yeah, out of the ones that are maybe coming or should be coming, ones that I believe are coming, Fable and Avowed are in there, and I really want to see what Fable looks like. And Avowed looks exactly like my cup of tea, so we'll we'll see what. The future holds. Let's see how more of those uh, 
where these states get panned out, I think we're going to see a lot of that get firmed up in the, well, maybe tomorrow with this Xbox thing. There might be some. But Game Awards will probably be a good target to, to see some of those early half of 2024 release dates. So we'll see what happens there. Anyways, that's a good question. If you have any questions you'd like to ask us, send us send it over to us on Twitter, email, or Facebook, whatever way you want. Um, all right, anyways, that just about does it for this week. You can find more from us on Twitter by following at Amarin Studios. That is A-M-A-R-R-E-N-S-T-U-D-I-O-S. Or on YouTube, our link is in the audio description of the show. If you watch us on YouTube and want to bring us with you wherever you go, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever you want to find your pods. Um, and again, you can find us at wellplayedpodcast.blogspot.com. I have been Warren. You've been the best audience I could ever ask for. Thank you for joining us and see you next time. And don't forget, w.gg and use code wellplayed to get 10% off. Thanks, and have a good night. Goodbye. Enjoy your gaming.